big chord resolution. We love it. Good morning. It's good to be together. Goodness, after last week with the power out and having to cancel on site, we can gather once again and the good news of that. Our call to worship this morning, I've taken a psalm, Psalm 27, and set that up responsively so that we can uh, read together back and forth. Uh, let's uh, get settled with that and we'll look to, oh, we must have had a collapse. Tell you what I'm going to do. If the software went down, what I'll do is read to you the um, psalm to set our hearts while we're getting other things settled. Is that all right? Yeah, there we go. Hear the word as I read it for you. Oh, wait a minute. Here we come. You would have no idea the hard work that goes on. Do you remember that scene in The Wizard of Oz where they pull the curtain back? Boy, are they working hard back there. But here we go. Thank you so much, Deb, for getting us going. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. It is a beautiful day, bright and beautiful. Let's sing together. It's hymn number 20. We'll project it as well. All things bright and beautiful.
Amen. And have a seat if you would. Again, I'm thankful to welcome those of you on site as we're able to gather here together. And as well, those who are watching by live stream or recording that we can worship here and that you allow us through that technology to bring the love and grace of the gospel to you where you are. We're glad to be together and to be a part of that. A um, couple of announcements for the day. First thing, the fellowship gathering will go on this, this morning right after the um, service, coffee, juice, donuts, life together in the library. I will also be doing my usual uh, follow-up to the service, question and answer. That's about 10:15. down in room one, a chance to kind of interact, ask questions, um, talk about things in a more discursive sort of uh, manner. We were unable to meet last week, but two weeks ago, uh, we finished up our summer serve week. I was very thankful for uh, that this year. 153 kids involved, 23 different service projects, each night preaching and worship the living God. A great time. And I'm thankful for the volunteers from all over Hardwike, but to see those celebration faces helping in all sorts of different ways always an encouraging thing. Um, I want to have a slide about the contact card, one of the ways we stay in touch with folks. If you'd like to connect, either get our Thursday evening 7 p.m. email or ask for a call from me or a prayer request, any of those things, just text the word connect to that number and we will follow up and do it. Uh, before we turn to the catechism, I want to take a moment to recognize, I, I'm very aware that when I stand before you, I'm just the tip of an iceberg, that there's a whole team of people from intercessors to people organizing and planning, and we're going through a transition right now in our children's ministry. And so I want to recognize two people. It's kind of a transfer of the mantle moment. You remember the prophet Elijah? When he was about to move on to his next season, they were wondering who will follow, and that was Elisha. So this is that kind of moment. I'll introduce in a moment Laurie, um, who has been our children's ministry director. She became involved with Hardwike Children's Ministry in 2007, and has faithfully, as opportunity opened up and needs um, arose, she was here to be part of that. She is about to complete a master's degree in clinical counseling with the goal of vocational rehabilitation counselor. I got all that right? <laughs> Her original timeline had put that off to finishing until January, but opportunity opened up this summer. We always want to feel like we're doing the best for the people we work with. Um, and so we said, go for it and wondered, what'll happen without Laurie? Well, shortly thereafter, as I recall the chronology, we met Becky Visser. And so, having had our Elijah, we found our Elisha. Becky, I'll go over real quickly, her husband Mark, the children, sons Cam and Logan, a daughter, Alea, Aaliyah, I got that one, is our worship intern at Watershed. Again, we're recognizing and cultivating gifts. Becky brings to children's ministry um, work with children and families both inside and outside the church setting. That was very interesting to me. Uh, outside the church setting, she worked with child support with the Ottawa County Courts and most recently uh, running the program at Lincoln uh, Elementary School. Inside a church setting, uh, 
Uh, she was the children's ministry director at First Reform for a number of years, served at Christ Memorial. But one thing I want to highlight with both of them, initially they started as volunteers, people who came to worship and volunteered willingness. We began to recognize gifts and calling to encourage and equip and things like that. That's my favorite way to build a ministry team. So um, I encourage each of you, recognize what God is doing. Let us help you with that and identify where God would plug you into the great work of his mission. So I'm gonna ask if they would join me, Laurie and Becky, and we'll pray for them together at this kind of transition and transfer. Come on up team. Get one on either side, and I won't. Do that. All right. So from Laurie, this is kind of an exciting moment entering into this new field and having been faithful. I will always remember Laurie with thanks. We survived COVID. <laughs> she had probably the hardest role of anybody at Hardwike in my estimation. <laughs> and that she's still sane is a good sign. I tried everything I could, but you're still doing well. <laughs> and Becky, um, just launching into ministry with us, we're thankful for this. So will you join me and pray together? Father, we thank you that you take ordinary people who are available and your gifting and grace makes them able that you work in us so that you might work through us. And we thank you for Lori's faithful ministry across years now. How in a sense as a community, we've watched her family grow up with her. And now as she heads into a next season of ministry, we, we send her with our blessing and we send our best as it were, bless her where she would be. And now as Becky steps into this role, we pray that you would continue to uh, bring to fruition the gifts that you've placed in her. Uh, take the joy and the love that you've placed in her heart, particularly for children and for families, and multiply that. Uh, raise up people with her and around her to extend the gospel into the lives of children and families in our community. We thank you that we are not standing before you as perfect people, but as broken people who have a perfect Savior who's loved us and called us and invited us to join into the greatest adventure on the planet, the mission of the living God with the gospel of his grace. Bless these two. Be part of this transition and transfer in the moment. Help us to bear fruit to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you both. Now, the other thing about being involved in children's ministry, they're dashing off to the very next uh, opportunity. You know, the faith that shapes us is not something that I invented or that you invented or that I'm, in a sense, really free to mess with. There's a faith once and for all handed down to the saints, and it's my calling to try to live that out faithfully in the year 2022. A great way to do that is to touch base with the faith that guides us. And so we're using the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 19. I'll begin. How do you come to know this? Namely, that Jesus Christ is the one mediator. Together, the Holy Gospel tells me God began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. 
Later, God proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, God fulfilled it through his own beloved son. It's that Jesus who has redeemed us and who calls us. Let's stand and sing. It's hymn number uh, 121, Jesus Calls Us Over the Tumult. Thank you, and have a seat if you would. Well, by way of introduction, I'm excited as well. Many of you will remember Pastor Luke Kerrig. Luke was another part of the COVID crew here at Heart Ike, served with us in Fusion. Um, again, in the spirit of sending our best, we sent the family off to Ireland as world-renewed missionaries, and they're back for a few weeks. And I was very thankful for this chance for him to just kind of report back. Resonate. Resonate. Oh, I have to go change that on the website. Anyhow, he knows who he's with. Uh, Luke, we sent you and Kelsey off a family of four, but it yes. came back a family of five. Tell us a little about that. What's going on in the life? Yeah, move on from that <laughs> slide. There's the four of us. Yeah. We, we have a new little son named... Um, do I just go closer to this? Yeah. Uh, first of all, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good to see you this morning. Uh, we ha now have a family of five, and we have a very long-haired boy uh, named Reese. And he, I did send on a picture, but it's okay that it didn't make it up there. Um, that, that's actually the, the four of us. That's my son, Cohen, and our little daughter, Ida, who do not look like that anymore. They are older and wilder and uh, much more hard to handle. Um, but they're wonderful. Okay. Well, um, there in... Ireland, you were working with a particular church and you kind of took with you the collaborative preaching experience. Tell us a little yeah, about yeah, Greystone's church yeah. and what you're doing in the preaching. So, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Luke. I served as a pastor here at the Fusion community and I was sent back through the discerning wisdom of myself and this body and uh, the Holy Spirit. We went back to Ireland and I'm not a traditional missionary. Most missionaries will go to new frontiers. I went to my hometown. Uh, most missionaries will go and plant new churches. I went and pastored the church in which I was raised. <laughs> and so it's a very unique uh, experience to go home and pastor your home church as a missionary sent from a denomination in the United States. But it works. By the grace of God, it works. It's a wonderful interdenominational um, connection. Um, but yeah, we so on, when I was on staff here, we did this really wonderful thing that I don't know if it's practiced all that much uh, in other communities, it seems pretty rare. But we'd meet together as a preaching staff every, every Monday, 
and we would talk about the last sermon we did and we'll talk about the one coming up. But we would gracefully and hu with humility argue <laughs> about theology and life issues and matters of ministry and it became this wonderful formative thing. And so when I got to, to Ireland, uh, we had a whole splattering of diverse theological expressions. And we had eight preachers in a church of 30 people. <laughs> Think about that for a second. No, I refuse. Eight preachers in a church of 30 people. And so one of the first things we did, we said, well, what are the distinct theological voices within this community? And so, you know, we had people who sort of leaned into Irish Celtic spirituality, and we had some folks who were a bit Christian liberal, and we had some folks who were uh, traditional conservative evangelicals, and we said, well, why don't we get these people in conversation together on a weekly basis? And so every Wednesday we meet at 11 p.m., 11 a.m., and we, talk, and we talk together uh, about the tough things of faith. And it's been this wonderful formative thing where we disagree on some things, uh, like perhaps me and Bill might disagree on some things, and yet we maintain the unity of the spirit and the hope of the gospel. And it's been this wonderful formative experience for our church and it's growing and uh, yeah, it's been rich. So thanks it, for that. And I'm glad to send that off and it is rare. Yeah. in our experience, but it's unbelievably beneficial. Mm. I've often said that I'm a better preacher because of the life that I share. Nobody knows my brokenness and sin more than the, these mm. people that I'm sharing life with, and that we could send that on is just a really great thing. Um, an experience from life and ministry there? You want to tell us about the future? Let me kind of just leave it to you. I yeah. appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, so when I arrived back in Ireland, our church was, was 12 people meeting on Zoom and because you know, COVID was happening. Um, I initially went to Ireland to plant house churches. COVID happens. Nobody wants to go into anybody's home anymore. <laughs> and so house churches uh, was down the toilet, as we say, in Ireland. Uh, and so I went, and so I, I took pastoring this, this church as sort of my focus. Um, and uh, your question. <laughs> Who were you betting on in the second race? Yeah, no, no. So no I, ministry experience, yes. Ministry yeah, experience ministry or future. Experience. But uh, so we... We had 12 people meeting on Zoom, and we devoted ourselves to three things, prayer, scripture, and, and worship. How do we do those three core things well? And so we met back as a community of 30 people, and we've applied ourselves to those things, and our church has grown to 60 people. We opened back up in, in June uh, 2021. And our church has grown to about uh, 60 people. Our children's ministry, I just heard from my associate pastor, we had about 30 kids a few weeks ago in children's ministry. And so our, our community is growing, uh, and we're sort of riding the wave of grace because we're not doing anything special. We're devoting ourselves to prayer, scripture, worship, fellowship, the, the regular expressions of the church. And, uh, and it's, yeah, it's been... It's been really exciting. But because of our growth, our church building is no longer uh, feasible for us. I could show you a picture. I don't know if we have a picture of our existing site. But uh, our church is growing. Our, our facility is not fit for purpose anymore. We had a funeral in January, and uh, we had 300 cars show up, and our parking lot houses about, I'd say, 50 cars maybe. Um, and so, you know, where do we put people for uh, the fellowship moment when everybody's in the main hall? 
Uh, and so we're looking at developing our, our whole site to make it not only functional for us as a community in terms of our regular worship and practice, but also to be a resource for the community at large. Um, because we're, we're in a town that's growing exponentially in population and in all its development, uh, but there's not enough access to amenities. And so we had this 0.75 of an acre uh, site and we said to the local government and to local groups we said hey if we were to do something with this site what would what would you need what's the community need and so I can talk to you more that if, if you're interested about that I have a few of these uh, you can pick up at the back perhaps and um, but we're we're looking at developing our whole site and uh, this wonderful collaborative bridge emerging between Hardwick we're hopefully bringing a team over in October so if you want to come to Ireland and do a bit of service learning come to Ireland and worship alongside us and see some of the faces and the people and the stories. Um, yeah. I'm thankful that we, through this relationship and through prayer, support, presence with these mission teams, we can be a part of learning about what God is doing in Ireland, as well investing in Ireland's future through them. So very, very thankful uh, for this moment. Want to keep that relationship for y'all and the face and things. Yeah, and I'm thankful. Um, because I couldn't do what we're doing in Ireland without the support of, of Hardwick and Celebration. And uh, it's been a really rich partnership and incredibly comforting during or the tumult <laughs> of COVID. Um, and bringing my family to, to Ireland, all my, my kids are American, we're you know, dual citizens, so to bring them to Ireland to immerse them in a new culture, it's incredibly comforting to know that there's a network and a community of you all who are supporting us and encouraging us and there for us when we need it. So thank you um, for partnering with us in ministry in Ireland. Phenomenal. Now, because Luke is going to need to have contact with all three communities, I'm going to send them off. We'll pray for you even as you run you, to the next community. So uh, he'll head off. I'm glad for you to have this opportunity. Why don't we just say thanks and hooray. Um, let us do pray. Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Father, I thank you for the work that you are doing, that you are moving in power in our midst and in our moment. And we see it as you uh, move Laurie to a new season of ministry and have raised up Becky. We see it as you take Luke and Kelsey and the kids and place them uh, back home for Luke in Ireland. Thank you that in this way we get to invest in the work that you are doing on the planet. And whether, we thank you that whether far away or near, you are at work, and we want to give our lives to that. Thank you for uh, ministries that go on right here, like Summer Serve, and that for a week we were able to feed and laugh and house and uh, teach and sing with 153 middle school students. Thank you for our student ministry staff and all the volunteers that made that possible, that there will be middle schools in a few weeks that will be different. They'll be receiving different students back because of what you did in their lives right here about two weeks ago. I thank you for that because at one time in my life, I was one of those kids. And thank you that you've redeemed us and that you'll use us for the glory of your kingdom and the sake of other people. We do pray for the ministry here at Hardwike. We pray for Pastor Corey, who'll be preaching in Watershed. For Pastor JB, as he was able to return uh, from his time away with family, be with them in Fusion.
for Pastor Florencio, who will preach from right where I'm standing, the gospel of grace in Spanish with Mission this afternoon. We thank you, Father, that you've called us not to the idea of a church, but to a real church with real people. You've placed us in celebration by your grace, a community of hope, a community that walks through life together, found in, formed by, and following Jesus. So, again, we have a long, challenging prayer list. I'm just going to hit some highlights and ask you to pray those things where it intersects you. We pray, Father, for those among us who are sick, whether passing symptoms or very significant diagnosis. You know folks who are sick and need the healing, gracious touch of Jesus. We pray for medical staff, doctors, nurses, others who care for them. Be healing grace, comfort. And Father, we pray for the grieving. Again, it's Friday, we did a, a funeral for Dr. Visser right here. Thank you that you've called us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who are weeping. So we pray that in the long silence of the night, you would be present with those uh, who are grieving. We thank you that grief is a journey and that you walk with us along that pathway, but that grief is never our identity. Having been found in and formed by Jesus Christ, we navigate that path by your grace. We pray too, Father, for a third thing, for the called. We thank you that because you've called us to the cross, you will equip each one of us with gifts for service of various kinds. And so we pray for uh, those with gifts of service, those with gifts of administration, those with gifts of intercession or teaching, or discernment, or leadership, that each and every gift would be valued, identified, and joined together to make a marvelous mosaic, the picture of Jesus called the body of Christ. In that regard, Father, we pray for the leadership of Heart Awake. That's uh, uh, the, our regular authority prayer cycle. We pray for the council and for staff. As summer folks are coming and going, we thank you that you maintain a direction stability. Just give us guidance. Help us to, to prayerfully hear your voice and press forward. Father, we thank you that you have called us to your kindness. Help us in places we will be on Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday morning that we can't even see right now. Help us to be a people bearing the fruit of kindness. Father, I would pray, even as Scotty Smith prayed earlier this week, that I want to finish my years and days as a faithful encourager, as a quick repenter, and as an intrigued, curious listener. And whether I'm in the final 30% or only at the beginning 30% of my appointed days, free me to live them at the pace of grace by the rhythms of the gospel with you as my true and perfect treasure. Father, continue to build in us, even as Luke mentioned, um, prayer and scripture, 
life together. Uh, teach us to pray as the Lord Jesus has taught his disciples through the centuries. We use these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we continue through the wisdom literature. We've been looking at Proverbs uh, this part of the summer. I'm going to lead us into the book of Ecclesiastes today, into Job. And even before I read the text, you will notice that what I read to you this morning sounds very different than what we usually hear in the New Testament or in Psalms or even in Proverbs. You might ask, why is that here? Well, I want to set you up before we we hear the reading. I want, Ecclesiastes wants to look at life and the world limited to only what we can measure and observe, to look at the world in terms of itself alone, to look at all things under the sun. And what you'll notice is that it concludes that when you look at the world that way, it's meaningless. Oh, work and productivity, they seem nice enough, but they're never complete or fulfilling. People, they they seem important, but, but really, are they any different than animals? Somehow, when we look at the world, we have a sense that there must be more to it than just passing away, but, but we're not sure what that is. When we look at the world and at life in terms of the world and life itself, It's ambiguous and cloudy. That's why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. And that's key to understanding the message and what it teaches us about the gospel. I'll be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. Hear the word of God. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Uh, He's made everything beautiful in its time, and he's also set eternity in the human heart. That's my favorite verse in all of Ecclesiastes. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. I looked and I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, this is the character, the teacher saying this, he says, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see they are like the animals. 
Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So, I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts and our minds to enter into the posture of this text that we might see keenly its position and the truth you would communicate to us. Shape our lives, not simply with our own reflections, but with the good hope of the gospel that you have reached across eternity into our finiteness and given to us. Thank you that Solomon, as he reflected on life, came to these conclusions, inspired of your Holy Spirit, And now, by your grace, they've been preserved across centuries, brought to us to translate, study, read, consider. But we do pray you would finish the work, illumine our hearts and minds to receive all that you have for us, that we might grow and bear fruit. For we pray in the marvelous name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Life under the sun. I've chosen this central section from Ecclesiastes because it's representative of the whole book. I want to go back and touch real quickly a framework for understanding this book that we touched last week. I gave you three words of often how an idea plays out. You you start with a position, and here's my conclusion. This is how I live. In my illustration two weeks ago, I talked about one of my positions, that the New Orleans Saints will win the Super Bowl. That's a, not, that's a, a position that you may hold or may not, but it's a position that we have. Well, you get to that position by way of a process. I checked out the um, roster. I looked at this, that, and the other, and I made this conclusion. But it also depends on a posture, Now, I'm concerned about what the New Orleans Saints do because I enjoy NFL football. If you don't have the posture of enjoying football, you couldn't care less. The position doesn't matter. So you see how this works? Position, process, posture. One of the things that happens is often we find ourselves wondering about another person's position. Why did you choose that? Why are you voting for this candidate? That's coming up Tuesday. Why are you holding that position? Where what you've got to do is listen long enough to realize that you're actually starting from a different posture. Now, two weeks ago, I talked about how wisdom in the Bible always begins from the posture that there is the Lord revealed in Scripture And he has created this world, whatever mechanics he used, but he created this world with purpose and intention. And so you can look at creation, you can look at the world, you can study, and from that posture, 
We're here because of the intention of the Lord. You arrive at particular positions. People are valuable. You also realize that sometimes you, when you look at creation, you're not sure what to make of things. It's ambiguous. That's because of sin in the fall. It's, it's broken. But Paul would write in Romans 1.20 that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Well, if you start with that posture that we're here because of God, then whatever process you work, you come to a particular position. And I contrasted a different posture. Imagine if your posture was, there is no God. Well, that leads you to a different position. That's what I want to plant in your head and leave there. Two weeks ago, I was able to say some very positive things about science and the development of human understanding from this posture of the Lord at the center. Remember, we looked at Johannes Kepler, a great scientist and astronomer who said he was just thinking God's thoughts after him. And whether it's Galileo or Newton, uh, in our own time, a great example of this is Francis Collins. They begin with his posture. There is the Lord of Scripture. And it affects their process and eventually the position. Well, today, to make the shift from Proverbs to Ecclesiastes, I want you to recognize we're changing posture dramatically. If Wisdom through the Bible begins with the posture the Lord created with intention. Ecclesiastes is unique in that it begins with a very different posture, namely to try to figure out life under the sun and under the sun alone. The difference here and the reason Ecclesiastes sounds so different is because it begins with a different posture. Presupposition would be a philosophical term for that, the a priori commitments. Ecclesiastes lets you look at the world as if there was nothing but the world. So where you read the rest of the scripture and you start with the assumption, the presumption, the posture that there is the Lord, Ecclesiastes is different. And I want to help you unpack and see why I conclude that and why that matters. It has to do with understanding the teacher. Now, traditionally, the teacher has been identified as King Solomon. You read through Ecclesiastes and it says, these are the words of the teacher who's looked into things. He's not mentioned by name, but well-described, son of David, king. It, uh, the traditional commitment to Solomon fits very, very well. But there are several unique things to this book that should stand out to us as we read and meditate. The first is this term, under the sun. And you heard me read it this morning. I looked at what was under the sun. Well, this is where the word count stuff that I usually do in my preparation but don't bring to you. But it's so dramatic, I'm going to give it to you. If you take the New International Version of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, read through it or get on your computer and say, how often do you encounter under the sun that phrase? You will discover that 29 times in the Bible the term under the sun is used. And all of them are in the book of Ecclesiastes. That should pique your interest. There's something unique about this phrase under the sun at Ecclesiastes. 
It's fascinating. Now, I've been recommending, and we've been working through Tim and Kathy Keller's devotional, Navigating Life in the Wisdom of God. And on March 8th, he writes this about this particular passage in Ecclesiastes. This almost by definition is the scientific process, the effort to find a natural as opposed to a supernatural cause for everything. The teacher is setting out the boundaries of his investigation in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's understanding the world under the sun, uh, understanding it in terms of itself. And rather than, like we saw the previous weeks, a Lord-centered posture, it's a only what I can perceive posture. So this is not so much a science or anti-science, a rational or irrational. It's the posture that affects the process and gets you to the positions. I've shown you scientists who began from the posture of the Lord at the center. Now we're going to step back and read a book from a wise, thoughtful person who tried to figure out life in terms of itself under the sun. It's a shift of posture. The entire book is a thought experiment. Let's think about life as if there was no God and only what we can see and perceive. Now, you probably, if you've ever read through Ecclesiastes before, recognize that the conclusion he comes to is that it's meaningless, or the King James word is vanity. It presents itself as appearance without substance. You see it, but when you try to build something on it, make something out of it, 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 it's nothing. Vapor is another word, and I'll tell you, this is another word count. This word is used 73 times in the Old Testament, 38 times in Ecclesiastes, right at half in one book, 12 chapters. I began to get a sense that what the teacher is telling us is that if you just look at the world in terms of the world, it's like a holograph. Have you ever seen those? It's a way of manipulating lights so you get the illusion of seeing something that's three-dimensional, but when you try to touch it, there's nothing there. Life on its own terms, Ecclesiastes, the teacher is saying, is like a holograph. It, it looks beautiful and inviting, but, but there's nothing of substance. Well, I dug further, and because I've trained you in Hebrew, you'll, you should be able to respond to this. There's something very, very interesting. Ecclesiastes is about deity observed, not deity revealed. What do you mean by that, Bill? I mean that if you look at the world, you get a sense of there's more here than meets the eye. God's invisible qualities, his nature, his character. I, I get a sense of that, but that's different than the God you meet in covenant. See, I discovered that the Hebrew word Elohim, which speaks of the position, as it were, of sovereign God is used 40 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, but the name that God revealed himself by, do you remember Moses asked, who shall I tell them sent me? And he hears the name Yahweh. That revelation of God is used zero times 
in the book of Ecclesiastes. So the God you can deduce or observe from nature, but not the God who reveals himself and makes himself known in covenant and relationship. See, there's a whole different posture here. And if you don't grasp that, it's intention to speak from a whole different posture. You'll never begin to get the sense of what's being said. See, the teacher is just looking at the world on its own terms and saying, how do you make sense of it? And he comes up and says, it's a vapor. It's meaningless. It's vanity. In a sense, the teacher is a post-war French existentialist. Did any of you ever read that in college? Albert Camus, Jean-Paul Sartre, great books like Nausea, where you look at the meaningless of you, meaninglessness of life after World War II in Europe and you just say, there's nothing here. They come to the same conclusion as the teacher. How different that is than what we read in the scripture with the gospel. Ask yourself, why is it that Ecclesiastes sounds so different than John 13 through 17? Remember Jesus speaking in the upper room? Why does it sound different? Well, it's because this is the best you can make sense of the world if you just try to look at the world and make deductions. But in the upper room, remember the Lord, the covenant-making God of the Old Testament has entered into human existence. He's laid aside his glory. He's taken on human form. And he's now speaking to his disciples. You bet it's different. When God speaks to you of your value, of his love for you, of his purpose for your life, of the challenges of navigating a broken world, when he speaks to you, it's going to come to a different conclusion than when you just look at the world and try to make sense of it. That's what Ecclesiastes is about. That's what the difference is. Now, it's important we reflect on this perspective on life because that's often the perspective we carry with ourselves or that our neighbors have. When you read Proverbs, it's important that you read it with Ecclesiastes and Job, that full vision of wisdom comes from all three. Proverbs will make more sense if you realize that life on its own terms never will. And again, March 3rd, I'm, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller's devotional. I'll read you this. It's possible to overread Proverbs and to make it teach good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Ever heard that perspective on life? It's so unfair. Oh, it's a broken world. Well, while Proverbs acknowledges the disruption of the order of God's creation, the book of Ecclesiastes and Job, which are also part of God's wisdom literature, they explore it. Ecclesiastes and Job then must be read together with Proverbs if we are to learn wisdom. And so it is. This is the message of the book of Hebrews that's played out in all kind of different formats. Wealth it passes. It's meaningless. Anyone watching their 401k lately? It's disappearing. Wisdom or knowledge? 
it changes, it moves on. Pleasure, things that I loved so much as a teenager somehow look so shallow and petty now. Morality, doing, when we do these things under the sun on their own terms only, they're like a vapor. They don't give us the hope and the satisfaction that we were meant to live with. Let me give you just one way this plays out, the futility of work. This is, in a sense, me preaching to myself, letting Ecclesiastes preach to me. When I try to find my identity in my work, I discover that nothing is permanent. I'm probably unique among pastors in that I've seen more of my churches grow and close than any one pastor. Isn't that a fascination? Imagine that. Work and achievement cannot be the final identity of life because nothing is permanent. Ecclesiastes 2, 21. For a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they must leave to another person everything they have toiled for. This too is meaningless, he writes, and a great misfortune. Work and achievement are never complete in themselves. In Ecclesiastes 2.23, we read that all their days, their work is grief and pain. You never get to the end. Any of you have built a business, you, ne- you, you may sell it, but then what do you do now? You see, work in and of itself is futile and will never bring the satisfaction that our hearts yearn for. Is it good to work, provide for those we love, and bring blessing to the community? Sure. Is it what we were created for? We were created for more. That's why just looking at the world on its own terms will never give you that. You see, we face, and the teacher and Ecclesiastes are painfully aware of this, we face the pressing certainty of death. I encourage you to look through the Keller um, devotional, March 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, five days, five days of reading, take no more than about 20 minutes to do all of them, will let you begin to see how the book of Ecclesiastes plays out the futility, and it always comes back to this issue with the pressing certainty of death. Death makes all our efforts and pleasures and knowledge and accumulation, it makes things that just pass on from us. Death means we never finish or reach the end of the pursuit that we yearn for. How do we escape this pressing certainty? Well, I'll real quickly just give you what I see as three options. One, there is, and I don't know, I hear this phrase now more and more, read about it in places, you're dead in your dirt, there is no meaning. You know, if we exist as the product of a gabillion, zillion random accidents, if there was no meaning to our beginning, there will be no meaning to our end. You're dead, then you're dirt. That's a hard way to look at life. It's, otherwise, we find ourselves thinking there must be more, but we're, we're not sure what. And that's kind of the struggle of Ecclesiastes. Because of death, the teacher is correct. Everything we do and everything we have in the end is not permanent and it is not final. It's a vapor. But there's more to life than just what's this? 
a different posture will help us see that maybe there's more and it has to be different but it can't just be more and better it can't be more and better work more and better knowledge more and better behavior church behavior I want to tell you, I think the key response to the certainty of death is the gospel of God's grace, where God himself places meaning and hope and substance into our lives from the outside, into our lives from the outside. I've been meeting with uh, some people to read through C.S. Lewis once a week. It's been a powerful time for me. I studied Lewis when I was a college student. And so it's like coming back to wells that I'd uh, consumed as a college student. The first thing I discovered when we started doing this, I've not encountered logical argument like I do with C.S. Lewis. I had to kind of get my brain back in gear to deal with logic uh, argument. He's got a particular essay entitled Transposition in the book called The Weight of Glory. It's about transposing the real thing into a representation of it. And it's very applicable here. I can take a majestic mountain range, but it's never perfectly communicated by a photo or a painting. That's what transposition is. Imagine if you had studied and then attended a full orchestra setting of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, perhaps multiple times. Imagine that experience. Could you give that reality to me, who is clueless, by playing it on a piano? No. How about having Jane, who's talented, playing it on the piano? Better. But how do you get the experience of Beethoven's ninth on piano? There's a transposition that breaks down. Lewis's essay includes this fable. Let us picture a woman, he writes, thrown into a dungeon. There she bears and rears a son. He grows up seeing nothing but the cold, damp, dark dungeon walls. There's straw on the floor. Food is shoved in under the door. And there's a little patch of the sky seen through the grating far up, but it's, it's too high to show anything except a small patch of blue. Now, this unfortunate woman was an artist, and when they imprisoned her, she managed to bring with her a drawing pad and a box of pencils. As she never loses the hope of deliverance, she is constantly teaching her son about the outer world, which he has never seen. She does it very largely by drawing him pictures. With her pencil, she attempts to show him what, what fields look like, rivers and, and mountains, cities, and waves on the beach. He's a dutiful boy, and he does his best to believe her when she tells him that that outer world is far more interesting and glorious than anything in the dungeon. Friends, I want to tell you something. Ecclesiastes makes clear to us. We are each like that little boy were born and raised by a loving mother, but in the context of a dungeon. Our mother is that great cloud of witnesses, if you will, from Abraham to the prophets to the apostles, including Solomon, the teacher. And this great cloud of witnesses keeps pointing us to a truth that's bigger than us, keeps pointing out that life on its own terms falls short it's hard and meaningless, but there is something in those pictures. 
Something that seems to say you were made for more than a dungeon. And the gospel of God's grace is the answer to your wondering and to your yearning. We may not understand or experience that answer, that final thing fully just yet, but the Lord, the God of covenant and relationship, Jesus Christ, the God the Son in the flesh who gave his life for us, in his mercy he has met us and redeemed us and rescued us, and now he has called us to join him in his mission. You see, life on its own terms, shallow and hard. But we be, when we begin to see life in light of the cross, a God who would come himself, a God who would enter into our suffering and broken world, a God who would say, you may not understand, but follow me. There is a hope that the teacher examining under the sun can never give to us. We do well to remind ourselves that life on its own terms can be brutish and short and hard. That may be the challenge our neighbors are facing. It may be what we face. Do you find yourself just wanting to give up and say, oh, life is meaningless? It can feel lonely and hard. Maybe, and don't feel shamed by this, maybe what you ought to do, is there a place in my life Ask yourself this question, is there a place in my life where I'm living as if life is only under the sun? I'm living apart from the gospel. Do I need to have God change my posture and ask, what does it mean to work under God's creation and call, to love and family under God's creation and call? Maybe the experience of meaningless and brokenness is not something to hide, or to fight, but instead to bring to the cross that God's grace might give us a different context and a different position and a different hope. Let me pray for you. Oh Lord, our God and Father, thank you that you have loved us and you've placed us in a world that is beautiful in so many ways. We've sung about it this day. And yet because of sin and brokenness, both the, the brokenness that has been done to me and the brokenness that I do to others, because of that brokenness and confusion in this world, we're unable to find meaning and hope until by your grace you enter in to rescue and to say, though you are broken, you are loved. Though you are doing your best, I am your fullness. Though you have your desires, I know you better. And so it is, we thank you at the cross, we see a God who would enter into suffering, who would pay the price of our brokenness and offer to us what we could never earn or imagine for ourselves. We thank you for the gospel and for your grace that gives us a hope beyond this broken world into your future. Fill us with great joy. Make us joy bringers to the world. And give us your hope in all things, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Our closing hymn is number 353. Rejoice, O pure in heart, and remember, Purity of heart is focus on one thing. It's a gift that God gives to us. 
by which we live to his glory and grace. Let's stand and sing hymns one, uh, verses one and four. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen.